Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 74 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today's guest, Anne, says that she has always lived her life with the idea of paying it forward to other people. She said that this was something that she focused on in her life long before it became more popular and certainly a popular phrase in our culture. She also really raised her three children to be that way as well, to try to live life for others paying it forward. Darren certainly did that in his life. And even as he died, he was thinking of other people and helping others. Since Darren's death, almost 15 years ago now, Darren's mom, Anne, has continued to pay it forward. She is a part of a group, actually helped found a group called For Moms Only. You can visit their website at formomsonly.org or find them on Facebook. They are a private group, so you will have to ask permission to get into the group, but Anne is in charge of the Facebook group and would happily let you in the group, I know. So for now, enjoy the conversation with Anne. so much Anne for coming on the show today. I am so excited to talk to you and to hear more about your son Darren and the work that you've done since then. So why don't you start out by just telling us about Darren? I could tell you the bios would be he's at his passing. He was 19 years old. He was full of life friend to everyone he met. You know just the typical things you know when he walked to the room the you know the room lit up the party began. A clown, a tease. He was just full of it and full of himself and full of life. He definitely lived life large. So he was very charming in a manipulative way. You know, he could get me up at 11 o'clock to make hot wings for him, you know, because he was just had a way of doing things. I used to tell him he could make hot wings better than me because I taught him. And uh, he said, but you put more loving in it. You know, uh, he just had a, you know, you wanted to do whatever he wanted. You know, he was, he was quite charismatic. Was he your only child? No, I had three children. Okay. My oldest, the oldest is Dustin. He was uh, probably seven years older than Darren. And then my daughter, who was four years older, and then came Darren. He was the baby. Yeah. And from the child, I had a child that was wonder, you know, I mean, the perfect child, never whined, never threw a temper tantrum, to one that was very demanding and articulate, to the one that hung on your leg wherever you went. And Darren was the latter. So he was, <laughs> they always teased and said he was a mama's boy. And I guess he was. I guess he was. 
He loved his mama and he loved getting uh, hot wings from his mama <laughs> and other little gloves. Food actually was his favorite food. So, um, you know, he was he could eat. I don't know where he was 6'2", and I'm not sure where he got that because I'm 5'2". His father was 5'7", maybe. Everyone else in our family, my, my mom's family, his family was all under, you know, we're on the low side. His grandmother was 4'11", his other grandmother. So it's like, where did this, uh, you know. Wow. Cute... Yeah, yeah. So he was 6'11". He was the postman's kid. That's what they used to always tease me. But <laughs> he looked just like his father. But yeah, he uh, he had a tender heart. I was the mom when he was a teenager because I'd see him sitting on the phone. That was before, you know, where I lived in the northwest we lived like on 30 acres and we lived for years with no power except a generator and running water you know in on -hmm. this in this kind of lifestyle hippie lifestyle I guess and later we added electricity and stuff but we were in kind of a hole so there was no cell phone so all there was was the landline you know so he would sit at the at the counter and lean against the counter in the kitchen and be talking on the phone for hours and i you know you're stumbling over him every time you're walking by and you'd hear bits and pieces of the conversation well it would be some girl that was in had been admitted to a psych ward you know from school and he's talking to her you know for hours and i would be like oh my god please don't hook up with something like that you know you worry about that but he would just they would just be friends and he would talk them and he'd be telling them of their self-worth and you know, you got this. And then he'd get angry at him. You're better than this. And quite the motivational speaker, you know, to motivate. Mm-hmm. After he passed, there were several of them that wrote letters that were uh, tearjerkers for sure about how he, you know, companioned them through their crisis. It made mm-hmm. you feel good. So there's all that. And he, um, one of the things he couldn't stand was to walk by me and not ruffle my hair, you know? So I always kind of wore my hair up or the ponytail or even when I had it short, it was, you know, uh, I have thin hair. So you have to, you know, do use a little product on there to make it look right, you know? And he just loved to make me squirm. So he would have to mess my hair up coming, going right before I went to work, whatever, and giggle and giggle and giggle because he thought it was so cute. Well, I would have that pretend anger you know, and give him hell. And, you know. So it was a little bantering between us. And so now when I wake up every morning and my hair is like this, because I forgot to take yeah. my hair tie out or whatever. So it's sticking up everywhere. I look in the mirror and go, oh, good morning, Darren. You know, because he's messed my hair, you know. It's just yeah. little things. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he was, he, he was everyone's glue, you know, in the family. The mm-hmm. mom... I'm the mom, so I was the glue, but he was a different type of glue. He brought the fun in our family. You know, he was mm-hmm. always, you know, always that. Um, our final words to each other were, I'd, it was Labor Day weekend, and I had had a barbecue, and he made his favorite, you know, I made, well, everything was his favorite, but I made ribs, and all my kids were there, and we, after we ate, he had to go, because he had to work. So he comes in, gives me the goodbye shake of the head and and uh, then lifts a leg and farts this rank, <laughs> ugly, boisterous oh fart. And he said, just leaving you a little scent. I love you, mom. And he left. 
So it's like every time I think when when I'm on these groups and oh we said I love you, you know. Yeah. At least I said I love you but last time I saw him and I thought, oh no. Yeah, I guess he did tell me he loved me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way he was. You know, he always I was gonna say a, just a little bit of his personality though. It was. Yeah. He was you know, uh, uh comic relief, that's for sure. He was a um oh I got tears in my eyes. Hold on. That's okay. No worries for sure. It's a bittersweet memory. You know what I mean? So I, I get a little tear. But anyway, he was just like that. In school, I can remember this little girl. And this is something you, that you didn't even, you know, when, you, when your child passes, sometimes people come and tell you things that you never knew, you know, about now. And they're like little treasures, you know, little nuggets. And this one girl came up to me and she told me that she always hated it. Uh, she was like in first or second grade. We lived in a small area. So these kids went to school all the way, you know, through school, mm-hmm. from kindergarten, mm-hmm. you know, in the same campus. So she said she had a summer birthday. And every day, everybody got their, on their birthday, they got a balloon from the, uh, school and -hmm. they could tape it on the corner of their desk for the day and Darren always Darren's birthday was June 9th so it was always the last you know the last few days before school was out and he would get his balloon well this one girl was always sad because her birthday was during the summer so she never got a balloon and in first or second grade he just gave her his balloon every year from then on all the way through high school, because they did it in high school. He always went over and just taped it to her desk. It started in first or second grade. You know? Oh, that's he received so sweet. It. That's sweet that to do it at second grade. So I had never known that. So that was like a little nugget, you know? Oh, he ne- so, he had never told you, huh? No, no. Uh-oh. In high school, they had a blood drive. And I'd given him permission, of course, you know, because he was under 16 at the time. I think he was, his birthday was the end of June. So he was going to be 16. So I'd signed paperwork so he could give blood and the blood mobile came and everything. Well, I didn't know that, but from 15, now I worked at the school and I didn't know this. I worked in middle school area. He was in high mm-hmm. school, but he gave blood. And after that, cause he, I guess he had AB. I didn't realize he had AB blood, you know, positive. Mm-hmm. So he went down and gave blood every time they always called him. You know, sure. And after he died, how I found out was they called him and I was the backup number. I answered it and they asked for him. And I said, no, I'm sorry. Uh, he's not here. I didn't want to go into, you know, he had been about six, eight weeks since he had passed. They said, oh, well, will you give him the message that we're ready for blood again? I said, you're ready for blood. He goes, yeah, he's our regular donor and he comes every six, eight weeks. And I never knew that he'd been doing that. She told me after I told him that he passed he'd been doing that since that time because he found out he had that kind of blood so they call him to go and I never knew oh wow he was that kind of person and I worked two jobs so in my defense I wasn't a holy it wasn't like I ignored my kids but now his brother and sister knew but they just you know it wasn't a big deal to them he never wanted um now on the football field he wanted to be recognized now you know because as a hero but but he was a hero every day, you know, mm-hmm. he, he did the little things like that all the day, you know, all the time. 
And I even feel like just hearing his story that you had, well, that someone had written out that I got to read ahead of time, he was really a hero even in his death. So uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. My kids always had to work. I was always about independence and working. Well, Darren graduated in uh, 2005. So his brother had started uh, working at a company that did uh, signing roadway signing and uh, the striping on the road. So it's one of the final jobs they do when they've done some road construction. And they also put up guardrails and all those signs, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Darren wanted a piece of that because Dustin was making 50 bucks an hour. Wow. And yeah, it was big, big time. Because when they were on a state job, it was $50 an hour. But most, most jobs on the highway are state or federal jobs. So they're mm-hmm. pretty high paid. But they may not work for, you know, three weeks, but then they then they have to work six weeks nonstop type thing. Mm-hmm. So he wanted part of that. Well, he was already being uh, working with a friend uh, who was a contractor building homes. And uh, but he wanted that because he wanted to buy a new car. You know what guys like. So he walked in to where Dustin worked and told him he wanted to work. Well, he was so charming. Uh, they said, well, we're not hiring right now. So he was so charming that. A girl thought he was hot. You know? So about <laughs> he went back out to the car, she went and got the boss and said, you need to hire him. I think he would be really good. So they brought him back in and then found out he was, you know, my son Dustin's brother. So they hired him. So he had been working with him for about oh, nine months or so. And the day that he died or the trip that he died, they sent him out to, um, a ski resort road up to a ski resort. They had widened it. They're frequently, you know, in a mountainous area, very windy and high. Mm. The grades are steep. So this was a six and seven percent grade in some places. And they had redone the road while well, they were in the process of finishing it. And they brought them in because of um, they had to put up guardrails on the, you know, on the curves because it was pretty steep declines. And, and they were doing that. And he was putting in a sign. The last thing he did was put in a sign using the, the tamper that they used. Suddenly it got ripped out of his hands, I guess. And he turned and looked in the truck, which was one of those big utility trucks like the yeah. phone company would use with the basket, except his uh-huh. had a marker on it. He and his foreman were standing there. And all of a sudden his foreman saw Darren running after the truck because it started rolling. And it was kind of on a curve. The um, convoy of vehicles was mm-hmm. bringing uh, people, pilot car was bringing a strand of cars over. And it was headed towards some vehicles, I guess. This is what the witnesses say. And my son made it because he's a great sprinter, you know, from football. <laughs> right. He jumped in from the passenger side and immediately behind the wheel and tried to stop it. Evidently, it slowed but then continued on. So it was loaded down with the trailer of all the the parts that they needed. So it was heavily loaded. Uh, At that time, I'm sure he didn't know that there was no brakes. He had one pump and that was basically it. And Mm -hmm. uh, he spent the rest of the time trying to dodge. He drove it for, steered it. I won't say he drove it. He drove it for um, about a mile and a half mile and wow. something down a seven percent grade in some places in six it was just starting to 
if he had made the last turn, it would have been straight away. And maybe he mm-hmm. would have had a chance. But anyway, he steered it from from pushing uh, a vehicle over a cliff. Evidently, it was pretty steep. And then, like I said, drove it to the end. And at the end, he came around the last curve. And the last curve, according to the witnesses, um, there was a flagman there. And he knew they had already radioed down that there was a runaway truck. So he knew it was coming or something was coming. So he had everyone that was backed up behind him out of their vehicles so that they could take cover, depending on Mm -hmm. where it was. The flagger at the bottom indicated that when Darren came around the corner, he was starting to lose the trailer behind him. At that point, he was going 80 miles an hour. Yeah. So he saw all the people in the flagman all taking cover, the guy said, and then he steered it instead of one way, he steered it into a ravine because the trailer was going and um, it wouldn't have mattered which way he went. One would have been a two or 300 foot drop, but the other was not as far. Of course, it rolled and the trailer wrapped around him and he was trapped and it instantly exploded into fire. Um, Oh my. The way I look at it is he didn't jump in that vehicle thinking he was going to die. I'm sure he thought he was invincible. Of course Mm -hmm. he did it because that's who he was. He did not die in the wreckage, in the crash. He died from the fire, Mm -hmm. which is the hard thing for a mom. Losing your child is hard anyway, but he was alive. He had dove into the um, passenger floorboard and he was trapped in the wreckage by his boot. Now, he was unconscious, I'm sure, because according to the autopsy results, he was burned over 90% of his body. The only part was, of course, the boot that was trapped. But there was all sooting in his lungs, so he was still breathing. He had partially collapsed lung contusions, but uh, I'm sure any impact would have collapsed his lung. Sure. So going that fast. But anyway, he he tried, and he did a noble thing. And I looked, and he paid, for, paid it forward that day. So I've always been a person that kind of believed in that philosophy before it became popular. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, I try to live my life. And for moms only gives me that vehicle, you know, to do that with the group helping other moms. That's kind of yeah. uh, the irony of that whole way he died. And I'm not a believer in, uh, I'm a science believer, but you know, there are things that you can't explain. Uh, a week before he died, my two children, well, my three children, had all been out fishing in my oldest son's boat on a lake. My daughter was a nurse, and she had witnessed her first passing. And it was someone that was older, and she died very peacefully. And Desi, they had asked Desiree if, they would sit, if she would sit with them. She was a nurse in training. So she held her hand, and she just silently passed, and she was sharing that and told them, that that's so peaceful to have lived a life and just transition like that. She said it was very, because they, the boys were all, we're talking about feely things now. Boys don't do that very well, you know, and they all kind of said, Dustin says, not me. He goes, I'm going to die on this boat, casting for the biggest fish. I'll probably have a heart attack when I catch him. And Darren mm-hmm. goes, I want to go out like a ball of fire. And he said, I just don't want to burn to death. And then that's how he died. A week before. Oh my word! And my kids—that is they crazy. Couldn't, they, 
they did not tell me that for a long time. They finally told me, and it was like, gosh, you know, it's pretty pretty weird because that she, my daughter was very upset, and how I found out is she told me that's just not how he wanted to die. I said, well, well, who would want to die that way? She goes, yeah, but you don't understand. And so then she told me the story, and it's like, oh my gosh. So that was traumatic for them. I'm sure it was. I mean, it's traumatic. Anyway, but that would be like him in a ball of fire. You know, it's nothing. That's the way he would have normally talked, you know, but for him to silently say, I think that that would be the worst to die. You know, I just don't want to die in a fire. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard. Very hard. And, you know, when they tell you that your child has died, they were trying to be so tender. You know, what a job that's, that, was, mm-hmm. that somebody had to tell somebody that. What a job. Yep. They never, I did not realize that he died in a fire until, until his body finally got brought down to Spokane, Washington. And the uh, autopsy, they were doing an autopsy on him. And uh, they wanted his dental records. Mm-hmm. And then it dawned on them. Yeah. Because up until then, they had transported his body to Colville. And uh, then they were transporting it. They had it a facility that could handle his body, you know, to uh, refrigerate it because they had to do an autopsy and stuff. So the small town he was in didn't have it. And so they had to, so it finally got to Spokane two days later. And then they tell me that. And then it dawned on me that, yeah, you know, there was no viewing of a body. There was no, I didn't know about a fire. That was all after, found out later about that. Mm-hmm. At that point, I just thought it was wreckage. So anyway, then you realize you have no viewing of a body. You don't have, they were going to tie it up for a long time with an autopsy, you know, for a while anyway. You're kind of at a, you know, at, what do I do, you know? So my kids made all those decisions, but, uh, you know, you never even got his personal effects that they were all destroyed too, you know, a license. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was, that, that it was complicates horrible. things for sure. It's hard I enough anyway. Different, I found, you know, it does. It's not something I talk about a lot, but there's very few people that know that on the site. It's just, what do you say about that? Mm-hmm. It's just stigma. Just makes it more difficult. It, I mean, it's diff- it was difficult for me to see Andy in that casket, but it would have been exceedingly difficult not to see him too, for sure. So... It's hard to think of that as a blessing because it's such a horrible thing to have to do. But to not have that would have been worse in some ways, you know? Yeah, Mm -hmm. in some ways. After talking to some, I don't, you know, other people have other horrible tragedies like finding their child from an OD or in the process of ODing. I don't know if if that would have been even better. But anyway, I'm glad it was quick because I'm sure it wasn't a very long process you know I'm sure he was they seem to feel he was he died pretty quickly so if you find you just find comfort in what you can mm-hmm. and I, I do know that he would not have wanted uh even though there was he would not have wanted to live in a burn unit you know that though that's just an awful thing for anyone if he had survived anything you know so I think it was better how it happened maybe yeah <laughs> It is one of those things it's hard because it, you'd say it's better for him, but you don't know if better for you, right? Oh, yeah. Nothing better for me, but mm-hmm, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you would have rather hugged him, Burns and all. So 
so surreal because you feel you, you know, he scratches you on the head and farts and leaves. And then that was my last thing with him to going out of town to do this job. And mm-hmm. so suddenly you feel like he just went away on a trip for a long time. Right. You know, just doesn't seem real. Yeah, it was. Right. And I think he was old enough that he was out of out of the house for time bits of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? He'd been gone for. Yeah. He had been out of the house for at least well, nine or 10 months because, you know, as soon as he, he was a working kid all the way up, every summer and everything. So he had got himself an apartment, had three cars, had a toy, had a truck. And, you know, he just was, like I said, living large. You know, he worked one job, bought a little uh, Mitsubishi pickup one summer before he graduated. And then after that, he bought a Mazda because he found out that it would be cheaper to drive that around. And then mm-hmm. he bought himself, a, you know, a toy, uh, like a Bronco. Okay. You take the top off of and, you know, fool around in the woods. Yeah, he had that. So, yeah, so he was on his way, I guess. I think he would have been okay. And like I told my daughter, she's after about a year, you know, because you're so fixated on the child that's not there. And my daughter mm-hmm. was 23 at the time. My son was 25, my other children. And he was, Darren was 19. They said to me, they said, now, mom, don't glorify him. He's not, you know, he wasn't perfect. And I said, you're right, he wasn't. He just wasn't here long enough to mess his life up, (laughs) to make mistakes. You know what I mean? That could have sent him in in wrong directions. If I was going to have a child, my kids are very grounded and very successful and everything. But if I had a child that would have gone astray, it would have been Darren because he was just so, you know, he lived, he was emotional, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, he just wasn't there long enough to mess it up. He didn't, you know, he, he was one of those in the football team that, you know, he was on everybody because no one could go to those parties and drink because it was all about the team. You know, he was a leader there. He was, you know, he wasn't, um, he never drank or he was all about physical fitness and, you know, he was, had a good head on his yeah. shoulders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If anyone could have stepped out, it would have been, it could go one way or the other. It would have been him. That's for sure. Yeah. So why don't you talk about those weeks and months later and what you did to try to kind of cope with your grief? Luckily for me, I worked at a school district and Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of time built up, sick leave. And, you know, if you've ever worked at a school, they're the most caring people. And they all knew my son, too, because he went through all the ranks. And my husband Mm -hmm. also worked at the school. So we were kind of a school family. I worked in a behavior program with hard the hard kids. So everybody loved me, you know, because <laughs> I made their lives easier. My husband was a um, painter by day. Uh, and then at night he did custodial work, you know, so all the teachers loved him. And then my kids all had gone up through the thing. So, you know, you're a school family when you've got one in high school, one in middle and one in elementary and you're trying to right without losing your mind you're trying to do everything that they're involved in but being in such an environment you know there you were constantly being reached you know no one left you alone you know they they mm-hmm. were sending notes or bringing food or whatever so the first thing that got me going was the people that immediately surround you and after all that dissipates you're just left with yourself my daughter stayed very close my son my two sons were very close. Mm-hmm. 
my oldest son was always one that his friends would come over. Does Darren have to do this with us? You know, they'd be chasing each other in the woods with paintball guns, you know, and, and his brother can't play. You guys can go home. They were like, kind of like a dad and a brother. Do you know what I mean? He was like, he was with me and he, you know, he never left his brother out of anything. So that was, that was nice. So Dustin kind of withdrew. I felt like I was just, I was never the person that couldn't juggle 50 things at one time. I was never a person that couldn't cope. I was a very strong person. Well, that all changed. Mm -hmm. Realized how powerless I was and how out of control I was. And I wasn't a person that was used to asking for help. You know, so for a while, I just floated. And then finally online, I got on this group and I had got on several, well, two actually. I'd started with compassionate friends and just kept scrolling, kept scrolling. And finally, this one group, it was called, it was one, one platform rather called Daily Strength stood out. Mm-hmm. So I got on in and they had a community called Bereavement. So I got in that and um, found eventually uh, a couple of women that had lost. Well, I was had people on there that were all kinds of losses, husbands, spouses, pets, everything. And uh, there were a few of us that clicked together because we had lost children. And one of them was Barbara Smith. So this was probably November after he passed in September. So a couple months, mm-hmm. eight weeks. And her, her son had died the day before my son on September 11th. So we were kind of instantly drawn together because of that. Barbara had this vision that we should all just have our own little group because our needs were unique. I don't necessarily have that philosophy. I figure grief is grief, even if it's a loss of a job, but it's different. You know, everyone's grief is different. So she was adamant. I said, I don't have the energy for that. Well, she did. So she got it and eventually got people together and so I was one of the original ones with Barbara. Uh, there were a couple of others, well, probably about six or eight of us that just were very close. Barbara and I and then Terry kind of grabbed, because Terry came in later, like March of the following year. Her, her daughter died in January. So after you do all that, and I found that when we, when after I talked with her and she would talk with me about how we were feeling, I felt lighter. So that mm-hmm. went on. And uh, meanwhile, I was so fo- got so focused on this group because I felt such healing there. I really was not who I really should have been. I'm not blaming the group. I needed to take care of me and no one around me had ever had me in that mode. I was always the caretaker of others. Sure. Mm-hmm. So that's the mom's job, right? That is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was the mom that on the sidelines wouldn't let, I didn't want the kids to have participation trophies. I wanted them to earn what they got. So I was one of those type moms. I wasn't the one that we got to do. Now my kids were involved in a lot of things, but they all, I wanted them to earn them on their merits, not just for showing up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Different philosophy. I wasn't very popular at the time. Anyway. So I was trying to heal myself. Well, my kids my other two kids, they were like, oh, lost it. They were always hovering, worried about me. My husband, six weeks after Darren died, and he loved my son. I mean, he was there from the time he was three years old. This was my second husband. Mm-hmm. He loved loved him. He was more of a, he was a father to him. All my kids, really, they all loved my, my husband. But his needs weren't being met. You know, he wasn't being 
taken care of on any scale, whether it be being a partner, a wife, a physically, mm-hmm. spiritually, or, you know, anything. I just wasn't, I was a shell. And he couldn't understand that, nor did I. I didn't understand all that. My mother's advice was to not speak of him anymore. That was her right. advice. Mm-hmm. You have two other children. That's what some people say, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's their focus. So I just didn't feel she was an outlet. My husband, he would say things like to me, why are you crying? And I would look at him and I said, well, didn't you hear that song on the radio? He goes, yeah. I said, don't you remember Darren dancing to that song at Christmas last year? He goes, oh, yeah, he did. But, you know, there's no emotion tied to it like it was for me. So we started Mm -hmm. drifting apart like a lot of baby families do. Ours wasn't out of guilt, you know, like you gave him too much freedom or you gave him the car or, you know, whatever. Ours was just strictly like two boats adrift. He was grieving in his way, but I didn't understand that. I was grieving in my way, but yet he didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So eventually he found someone to, re- to replace, you know, what he was missing. Um, mm-hmm. Which that was another grief on top of what I was doing, but that happened a little bit later. But during those months of just floating around adrift, I was finding nuggets to cling on to. I was probably the thing that brought me back is I felt you're going through the withdrawal of the physical presence and touch and voice of your child. Someone once said to me, and I believe it was in this group that I'm in now, you just don't have a physical relationship anymore. You now have a spiritual relationship with your son. He's still, you're still his mom. And that just, I can't, I can't explain how that just, I could feel the weight on my shoulders just kind of melt off. You know, it was like, Mm -hmm. whoa, it was very comforting. Probably one of the most comforting things that someone said to me that made sense to me at the time. So I was able to get through starting with that. And so once I got there, it was easier to work on me. And that's what I did. And then for moms only started taking off and it really helped. And so this is, that was Barbara's dream then? This for moms only? vision um, to do mm-hmm. it. Um, she started forming the group and then she died. And when she died, she picked me to run it. <laughs> After mm-hmm. she left, she headed up. And uh, our other friend, Terry, uh, was in the group. She wanted both of us, actually. So we did. We took the ball and ran with it uh, after she passed. And we got the nonprofit. We got the, which was her dream. We got the, now, and we eventually got our own website. And now Joni's husband mans it. We had it before, but it passed hands several times and it just wasn't what we wanted. And then Mm Joni's husband, when they retired, well, actually, he started before he retired, but he's the one that uh, tweaked it for us. And then Joni came back on board as a president, co-president, and mm-hmm. the rest is kind of history. But, but yeah, we ran with it, and it's, it's grown. Barbara would be very proud of that because it started out with the grassroots of maybe 20 people. And uh, on Facebook, I have close to 700 on the group. Not mm-hmm. all active. When I go in and look at the reports, they're probably almost half active. They're receiving notices, whether they say anything or not, they're receiving them. And uh, actually all receive. And I probably have half half of them responding. So that makes me feel pretty good, you know, pretty proud of that. And uh, to be on board from the beginning, I don't know that I'll always, 
you know, be on board, but for now I am. I, it's my tool of paying it forward. Yes. And it keeps me humble in my grief. I remember when someone comes in with that raw boss, I would like to think is for mom's only kind of a compass, you know, to not find your way back, but just to stop spinning, you know. Mm-hmm. When we started it, we didn't have anybody that was 10 years into their grief. We were all like three or four months, six months into our grief, you know, one person a year. So we did not look at it as even like this was going to maybe be the way we were going to be the rest of our lives. But it's really encouraging when women will say, I have hope, you know, because you guys have been 13, 14 years and. And you're still taking that step every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still living every day. You're living and you're. And so that gives me some encouragement. It makes me feel I've paid it forward. It's better than uh, when I what I used to do. I used to my pay it forward for the week was uh, I'd be in the latte line and buy the car behind me, <laughs> you know, around a, a, a coffees, you know, or a, a lunch or something at a at a restaurant. But I do feel that we, you know, that we're helping people, and and in turn, like I tell, because most everything. I probably only got one letter that I have canned, you know, that I put out, you know, that gives them all the information. The rest of it is one-on-one information as it comes up. Where if I feel a person is ready to hear something, mm-hmm. I say, you know, we talk about, uh, I'll share with them my moment of revelation when I'm still a mom. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because the name of my podcast is always Andy's mom, because that was one of my first things to think about when I decided to do a podcast. My husband was like trying to help. Well, we've got to decide on a title. And I said, I already know the title. I said, it's always Andy's mom, because I am always Andy's mom. And that and that will never change no matter if he's dead or alive or whatever, I'm always Andy's mom and I'm always can be his mom. And this is something mm-hmm. I can do still as his mom it's and stay in relationship with him. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's the way it's me. I feel that when I sit down at the computer, whether it be early morning or late, sometimes I'm late at night. I, that's my time with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I seem to be more open when I'm when I'm doing that. Yeah, I would agree with you totally. That's the time that I'm closest. And you know, there, you know, I I tell women a woman will say, "Is there a day that I won't think of him?" And I say, "What you're asking me? Are you is what you're asking me? Are you going to forget him?" No, you won't. No. For ten years, when it's the first thing you think of when you wake, and the last thing you think of when you go to sleep. Yeah, there are times now I get up, like this morning, it was like, oh, I need to look for that uh, Zoom thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But there are other times it's a memory or I had a dream. I don't have as many dreams as I used to. But when I do, they're they're good. You know, they're something I needed to hear or see or feel. Well, I think even back to just earlier in this conversation, when you started talking about Darren and the tears started to come, you were surprised. And that's so funny to me and so foreign to me because, you know, just in about two weeks here, I'll hit two and a half years. Well, 
for me, the tears still pretty much come most days. So tears are never surprising. It's more surprising to have stretches of time without tears. So it's it's funny to think, and that's one of the first things I thought when you got up to go get yourself some Kleenex. I thought, oh, there, maybe someday there will be a day when the tears will come with Andy, and it will surprise me like it did you, because it certainly it wouldn't surprise me now. I mean, I've teared up here because I just always do. It's just the emotions are so close to the surface. You know, I still will do that in a car and it surprises me the the one that that always that actually totally surprised me was grocery shopping because he mm-hmm. was mr like i said mr food you know hollow legs as my mother used to say oh that's so funny because that's what we said to andy we always said andy had a hollow leg because he was this tiny tiny skinny little kid and he could put away so much food you would have i have no idea where it went so we always said he had a hollow leg <laughs> yeah oh yeah well, he definitely did. I mean, he would be the one that would stand at the refrigerator, pull out one of those, because I, you know, I had two jobs, so I always, when he was a teenager, he could. That's why he knew how to cook, is I, I taught him how to cook. Well, he liked those. I don't know if you're familiar with Schwann's, you know, the food delivery uh-huh. place that comes to your house. Well, I had him come because I lived so far out. I like my husband was an ice cream freak, so I, he could deliver ice cream and it wouldn't melt before I got home. So. It started with that. Well, then they had these great five-inch pizzas. Well, Darren liked them. So I would, you know, buy three or four boxes for the month. Well, as yeah. I'm cooking dinner, dinner is like, I mean, I'm ready to plate it. And he's sticking a pizza in the toaster oven or in the microwave or whatever. And I'd say, what are you doing? We're about to eat. He goes, oh, don't worry, I'll eat. You know, and this is just <laughs> like my order. Mm-hmm. And he'd eat two five-inch pizzas and then sit down and eat dinner. I was like. So when I was at the grocery store one day, I was getting ready for Thanksgiving. Gosh, it was a couple, two or three years ago. And my daughter lives here in uh, Florida. My son still lives in the Northwest. So she was coming over with my grandkids. So (laughs) I said, oh, okay. My job was all the hors d'oeuvres and the turkey. She was going to do everything else. I said, okay. So I'm in there getting hors d'oeuvres. And all of a sudden I go around the corner at the grocery store and on the end of the counter, because it's the season, there's a whole display full of black olives. Uh-huh. I had to leave the store. Yeah. Because suddenly I'm hit with this memory of him putting black olives on every finger. On all his fingers. Popping yep. Them, popping them off and making a real grotesque sound at the table. And I just That's my daughter actually did that. Mm-hmm. I had to go sit out in the car until I composed myself. I was like, oh my God, I just, it hit me. And it was like, there was no, it wasn't like a little tear in the corner of the eye. It was like, I was ready to boo-hoo. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it still happens. And I think that's encouraging for people to hear that that's okay. Yeah. It's okay that those emotions still come and that things just kind of come out of nowhere where you don't expect it. Well, and more than anything else, more than anything else, the memories are now more sweet. They're not as crushing. Mm-hmm. So they're not crushing like you're like you can't breathe. They're actually a sweet. You know when that when I saw that and tears came to my eyes, I was smiling and crying at the same time. It was like I just didn't want everybody to think I was something horribly wrong with me. So I went to the car to be alone with it, but um, it's quite the thing. And now my grandchildren. 
my daughter and my uh, youngest son, Darren, they looked a lot alike. You could definitely tell they were brothers and sisters. And Dustin, yes, they each had features, but they were stronger, you know, in their mm -hmm. features. So, of course, she has my grandson, who's six now, and he always looked just like his daddy. Well, now he looks like Darren a little bit. There are certain mannerisms, the way he smiles, he does crooked smile. When he smiles, one eye kind of squints, and that was Darren, you know. So now when I look at him, I I just want to say his name, say Darren instead of Daniel, you know, so I have to watch myself. In fact, sometimes I do, and Daniel says, Nana, it's okay. I'm Daniel, but I know Darren was my uncle, my uncle Dan, Darren. Mm -hmm. Pictures, and but you see him everywhere in certain things, you know, certain, I can't all if you see him. Yeah. So. Yeah. My husband and I were just talking about that the other day about how he just follows us everywhere in some ways. And now it's still so, so painful for both of us. Oh. But I hope someday it won't be so painful. Yeah. It, it, it brings up the raw. And I'm still a little raw around the edges, but it doesn't, like right now, my heart doesn't feel like it's going to burst open in pain. You know, it's mm -hmm. more of a warm feeling. And that's what I try in For Moms Only to do. Uh, I'll share my personal. I share bits and tidbits. They'll say one thing and, you know, and a, a woman the other day I was on, because I, I kind of manage the Facebook site, you know. Okay. And Tony kind of does the website, our main website. We have more people on Facebook just because of the ease of Facebook. Sure. And some people share, but more people share more intimately on the other site. On the website? Yeah, on the website. They're, they just share more like what we're doing now, you know, more down in it. Well, it definitely takes some more effort, I think, to go to the web page, right? That yes. You're more yeah. intentional when you go to the web page. Because I just joined your group in the last, what, two months or so. And I certainly mm -hmm. see more on the Facebook just because I, I will go on there a little bit more. So I'll those things will pop up and I'll see them more. And I haven't been as intentional on going on the website. So, And a lot of that is the way it was when we were on DS. It was very personal like that. It was on a personal level. And I think a lot of people are just on and off Facebook. Now, there are some very good uh, discussions sometimes, you know, on, on Facebook. But it's a way to keep in touch. It's a way to, you know, we offer, like we just started a book of the month club. And um, that's really, I, I think that's going to be really good to kind of transition people into. Uh, some of it is going to be about self-development books. Some of it will be about grief. Some of it will just be a novel, you know. So how is the book of the month club thing going to work then? Just an online discussion. So you do have a discussion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Last month it was Untamed by Gwen and Doyle. And then this month it's going to be, a, she may have already put it out. I think I saw a notice about it, but it's a more of a grief related book. So we'll see. This is, was really good. It wasn't something I normally read. I normally read something fiction, maybe for escape or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, that was another thing. You know, you, do, you don't realize when you're in the thick of it how you can't read. You know, when you are oh. so really grief-ridden, 
to read for pleasure isn't there. I couldn't even listen to a radio. It was too stimulating for me. So I think that's why I graduated to an online forum. I, I couldn't, to listen to a radio and music, I had to go to something else. It was just too racking. I could read a book even on, so I sought out health, self-help groups. But mm-hmm. even then I would reread the same ch- chapter 10 times and nothing would go in because there was just too much. Right much going on and that I just telling people that that's normal because this one woman said I do believe I have Alzheimer's my daughter says I have it I said no I don't think you do you know and I told her and all I could tell her was for me you know my experience and she was so relieved because I really thought I was losing my mind I said well I'm not I'm not a doctor but I'll tell you I don't I don't know how you function the way you do because she had other children I said, because in a way I was, I want to say, if you want to say anything about luck, I said, my children were out of the home already. You know, they didn't, I don't know what I would have done if I had a, you know, a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, they would have been my focus, but at what cost for myself? So I said, um, I don't know how these, those are the heroes, the ones that can still go with that going on, you know, so... Yeah, it's kind of. Oh, uh, I think there are there are blessings and curses that way, right? I mean, both of my kids were at home. Certainly, my daughter was sixteen, my son was twelve, and they do give you purpose to keep getting up every day for sure. Um, I'm glad they weren't tiny, because that would have been even more difficult. But I mean, it's nice to be able to look at Peter and every day and see Andy a little bit and have the now house not feel so quiet. And right. So there are blessings, I think, both ways. Mm-hmm. How can people get on and get involved with Four Moms Only? What's that starting process look like for them? However you run across it, we've been, um, I think Johnny was trying to put, you know, a few, like a few pages out on Instagram Mm-hmm. We've had interviews. There have been interviews with Barbara a long time ago on AARP. Uh, and that's how we got, suddenly we had a rush of people join from just reading an article. I think it gets to be when you're ready to seek something out, a person will, or they're referred by someone else. So the website is formomsonly.com org. org. Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. For momsonly.org and on Facebook, it's under um, groups for mom only. Okay. Uh, whatever is facebook.com. But you can look for groups. It's uh, It can be found. It's just a private group. So anything in the group, just the only people in the group get it on their feed. So it's not like um, if you and I were friends and not a part of the group, you would see anything I'm seeing. So that's part's nice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Some people, I don't know if some people realize that but that is true there's so much comfort in being companioned through this i had a a friend tell me and it crushed me at the time but i had a friend come to me along well actually two friends but one said it different than the other the other just told me i can't do grief I love you. I'll do anything for you, but I can't help you with this. And I was hurt because I was 
wanted to lean on her. And then I had another woman, a good friend, still a good friend, come to me and she pretty much said the same thing and said, but it was basically, you're, it, the message I got from it was you're in this alone. I am not equipped to sit with you and companion you. It was, you know, it was mm -hmm. almost like she was afraid. I look at it back now, she was afraid. You know. Yeah, she, people do not know what to do. That's another goal I have on my podcast, actually. So it's for grieving people, but it's also for people who want to be there for grieving people. And I actually have quite a few people write to me that their best friend lost their child and they just didn't know what to do. And so they had been listening to the podcast for help. And so I think that has been uh, help for other people because you just don't know what to do when you're not experiencing it. And that is why I think groups like For Moms Only and other types of support groups are so valuable because you can be in community with people feeling the same way. Because I know you started out by saying, in some ways, grief is grief. And that is true. Grief is grief. A lot of people, I think about this pandemic, really pretty much everyone is in some sort of grief. They're grieving their normal life. They're grieving loved ones who have died. They're grieving the job that they can no longer have. Lots of grief. But that being said, certain things are so unique. The loss of my mother was far, far different than the loss of my son. And so although I thought at 21 years of age when I lost my mother, I understood grief and got it and would be able to handle other types of grief, this knocked me on my butt. I wasn't prepared at all. So I wasn't ready at all. So that being said, even friends that I have, friends who have lost their parents or a sibling, they definitely understand more of what I'm going through and they can do a little better job, I think, being there when they've experienced close personal loss like that. But it is nothing the same as that other mom. So the other moms who have lost their children hold a different place in my life now and there are certain things that I really feel like I can only get from them as much as my other friends want to be able to give me those things. So I thank you for continuing with the, uh, with the ball that Barbara started. I think these organizations are great. I am feel really fortunate to be involved now in Four Moms Only and for to give you a little platform so you can, more people can hear about what you're doing. So Thank you so much for sharing, Darren. He was an amazing guy. And you are always Darren's mom. I am. That's the biggest takeaway for me is that just lifted my heart and my spirits. And thank you for what you're doing. You are a voice for all of us out here. Because that's one thing that we don't have necessarily is a voice, a broadcasting voice and say there are things out there for you. And even if there, in my early grief, even if there was something out there, you're too numb to even know the search. I always tell people that, that I was always a person that had a list and everything got done off that list, you know, or it was in my head, but I had a list. It took me six months to realize I wasn't even making a list anymore. I mean, you're that out of it. You, 
it was my organizational tool and things got hectic. But when life throws you that curve, you, you're not even yourself. You're, you're, no. you know, no, I've said that so many times. I miss Andy. I mourn Andy. I also miss me and yeah. mourn me and who I used to be. Part of that after a time, everyone asks me a time, how, how long that takes. It's different for everyone, but I never even felt like I was moving forward. I was looking back. Oh, sure. Quarter mm -hmm. inch at a time or whatever, but I never felt until after almost about year six that I was smiling more. I mean, I was mm -hmm. smiling, but I was smiling more and they were genuine about year six. But I can remember sitting on New Year's one time and said, well, are you going to sit here and in New Year's resolution time, you know, are you going to sit here again this year or are you going to live? You know, mm -hmm. not that I was dying, but are you going to rejoin life? Are you going to call up a friend? Are you going to go shopping with your daughter out of impulse? You know, because before I just didn't have the energy or even thought of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I started, I just said, okay, it's time to live. Yep. Yeah. So uh, there is hope and that's, and your platform getting back to that is the plat. It is wonderful to have a platform like that to be able to say, Hey, there's avenues. Cause we didn't have that. I didn't have that almost 15 mm -hmm. years. Ago. You know, there wasn't, or at least that I could find, we didn't have podcasts. We didn't have uh, much on the way of online groups that was just kind of starting mm -hmm. getting a foothold. So I'm All blessed. Right to have that from you yeah, as a community. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at Marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.